Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below, and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. I'm still pulling up my evidence. Um, would you like to restate the proposition, or should I do it a bit later? Okay, why don't you give your proposition around the idea of your and your idea of nationalism? If that's where we're going now. I in this debate, um, I will be defending um, some aspects of uh, civic nationalism, um, and um, the idea that we started the debate from, or that confrontation was over the idea of open borders, um, and. Before the debate, the reason open borders came up is because I was trying to reconcile the libertarian and the national positions, and I was trying to explain why um, open borders um, represent a threat to a nation. Um, my opponent in this debate, as far as I understand, the Adorite, uh, made a claim that there is, um, I guess, no such risk, or that there is a no. scenario. Sorry, I'll, I'll fix it. Okay. He claims there's a scenario where there's a positive outcome for a nation state with open borders. Um, and we basically disagree on what's required for that, I guess. We also seem to be disagreeing on the nature of people coming in in the example of the United States. So clearly the United States is a topic, uh, although we might talk about other forms of, of countries and nations. So the Federation of the United States um, is accepting uh, immigrants, either legal or illegal. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, your position is that most of them, the majority, when they come in, they actually want to integrate into American culture. And my position is that was uh, that's not exactly the case. Um, and that majority is diminishing if it still exists. I suspect it does not exist. And I suspect that the culture of immigration has changed between now and what happened, you know, around World War II, for example. Okay, well, if we want to start the bed off there, I was immediately just like going through my notepads and pulling up a bunch of sources. But <clears throat> of course, the like, of course, the attitude around immigration is going to be different today than it was back in World War II. Like, do you mean the post-war era? Like, well, not even the post-war era. Like, it's going to be much different than it was around World War II because they just had a gigantic war. What you'd have to do is you'd have to go something like 1960s or 1970s because the culture around them are so polarized. And instead, looking at today's culture and looking at a culture which is much more lax around immigration, like much more of like a centrist um, like position around immigration. Because obviously, if you go and you look at... <clears throat> If you go and look at um, um, the culture around immigration in World War II, like just looking at what people were doing to immigrants, what their um, whole philosophy around immigrants was back then, it's much different than it was today, especially when we look back on it because our culture overall has changed. Hell, we can even look at how uh, Jew Jews were, you know, like being thought as in America during World War II. Because they were immigrants from a different country, and because of the general consensus around immigrants back in World War II, because of all the conflict that was going around in Europe, people were ostracizing them for being immigrants because there was a giant war going on from where they were from. 
um, the, the argument I'm making is, is a, I guess, a preemptive one. It will sound preemptive right now because people didn't hear what preceded this. But the, the typical argument that's used uh, on the pro-immigration side uh, and pro-open borders is that we've had this before. We've had a wave. We, the, the hist we especially, meaning the United States, had a wave of immigrants, and it was founded as a country founded by immigrants. And that's correct. Um, there, was the, there were waves of immigration, and all of these waves, um, or most of them, were successfully integrated, where they still retained some aspects of their old heritage, but they converted to being uh, something more unified, and um, they coalesced around the unified civic idea of American nationalism, um, of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, um, the um, Declaration of Independence, the ideas of the American Dream, um, the ideas of um, that in school teach the you know children are taught uh, American history, uh, all of the all of the stuff that uh, unites society around how it wants to behave. Um, and but yet some of these you know there's still Italian restaurants and Mexican food and. Um, and Irish pubs and St. Patrick's Day and, you know, um, and Columbus Day and all of the other kind of ethnic celebrations that we have. And this is provided as evidence that all future immigration is going to be as successful uh, because people will just integrate. And people point at how we mistreated the Irish and how we mistreated, like you said, we mistreated the Jews, mistreated the Chinese, mistreated the Italians. And as a result um, uh, of their immigration, eventually, like through several generations, they became American citizens. Uh, and there's no, no uh, problems from that. You know, the problems were resolved and there's a great benefit. I agree with all of that, except the part where this lesson is applied into the future. I don't think that the situation is the same because in the 60s, several laws passed um, that allowed the government uh, tighter controls over freedom of economic association. So these are anti-discrimination laws. And the attitude in the government and the attitude in academia, in the people that train the future teachers and government officials, uh, went not just towards like a left-leaning position, um, not just like socialist leftist, but more primarily went more cultural relativist. We used to be cultural purists, and we became cultural relativists. I don't think that open borders and cultural relativism together and a welfare state combine into a system that can accept unlimited numbers of, of migrants without changing the fundamental nature of the country. And so that's what I'll prove. I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to point at specific laws. I'll have to point at uh, specific policies that changed. Uh, examples, and that's the crux of my argument. It's, it's not the same with the Irish, it's not the same as with the Italians, it's not the same as with the Chinese, and it's not the same as with the Jews. Just the, the country is, is much different, the attitude towards immigration is different, the pressures of the melting pot are different, and I don't think it has the same capacity. So with which part of this do you disagree? Um, 
I'm not going to lie. It's like 10 in the morning. I got up about half an hour ago. I'm kind of tired. Okay. Um, so would you like to, I'll repeat my offer. I offered to postpone this debate to your time of liking where we both don't have to take the next half hour or an hour pause in the debate to actually. Uh, okay. Well, how about this? How about, instead, how about instead you restate your position and don't make it a long drawn out argument? No, that, no, you state your position in a condensed way. No, no, you can piss off with that attitude. No, absolutely. You can you can always interject um, any long argument. You think I make multiple points? Uh, you can politely interject, but if you haven't, if you aren't capable of listening to me, you shouldn't agree to a debate. That's horrible, man. Fuck off. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. What I'm saying is. Instead of going on for two or three minutes trying to, or not even two or three, it felt like more like five. How about instead you in, put it in a concise way to state your position? I think that uh, including our previous conversation, um, you should be able to steal my, my position by now without the evidence. You obviously ask for evidence. That's why we're here. Um, I can steal man your position by now as well. Would you like me to attempt it? And then you'll have to do it with mine? Go ahead. Well, it's, it's very simple. Um, you claim that, uh, I think I did it at the very start. I, I restated your proposition. You claimed that uh, people that come in all want to become, um, in terms of civic nationalism, they want to become American. Uh, the Mexicans want to become American. The Chinese want to become American. They all love and respect America. And that's the only reason why they come. The, the Middle Easterners want to become American, and uh, therefore there's no risk into the future. There's no um, challenge of integration, um, and uh, it's all positives from here on, and we should just not even have borders. We should accept everybody, everybody and have the long-term economic benefits um, of that attitude. I, I think that's part of your position. Um. Not necessarily, no. Because the main thing is, like, if you just go around accept, uh, and I, yes, I am a proponent of you know softer borders. But here's the thing: if you start accepting people whose uh, whose you know like culture and values directly oppose what is in America, like directly oppo opposition of capitalism, direct opposition of things like freedom of speech, then I feel then that would lead to problems in the future. Sir, could you, could you repeat that? The, the volume was slow. What about the freedom of speech? Could you... Um... Okay. If, okay. If somebody's moving to a country and, and they directly disagree with a lot of what America does, then that would be a case where I would say, no, you shouldn't be able to come here. Let's say you're okay with spousal abuse. If we cannot teach them that sort of thing is wrong, then then yeah when it comes to things like being anti-capitalism if it if they have strong strong feelings against the capitalist system and they want to change that with america and that's the reason that they're coming over well that would be a point where i'd say you know what maybe we should reconsider that but i don't think that there are long-term effects which but I, like the overall thing is we like america already doesn't like canada doesn't america doesn't and i think that you know like having those protections in place is you know important but basically my whole thing with it is 
<clears throat> Fuck, I'm way too tired for this. I understand. That's why I repeatedly, repeatedly offered you a postponement for an official debate. You don't have to be too tired for this. This is not supposed to be a torture. It's supposed to be a pleasure. You get to defend your position. And so far, you're basically playing into, into the court. That's, that's perfectly in line with my position. Uh, I would just say that your analysis is wrong. You think that what's going on right now is fine, and I would have to provide you evidence that it's not. For example, I would have to provide you with the link to the newspaper article uh, about the, the teacher that was punished uh, because she told Mexican students to speak American. And in the outrage over the fact that she said speak American instead of speak English, and in the outrage of people accusing her of being anti-Mexican racist, people forgot that her request was perfectly fine in, in an institution of learning where there are where there might be a Chinese person or a Russian person or some other people that, that don't speak Spanish and therefore all the students as a unifying gesture should be speaking English because it's alienating of other members of society and it's splitting up the community if there is a group that, that remains um, more aligned internally than, than with everybody else. What and context the, behind the, the fact that the United States, you would you like to interject here? But um, yeah, just really quickly, what's the sure. con what was the context behind it? May I ask? Well, I'm I'm trying to provide one piece of well, I'm I'm framing the type of evidence that I will provide. So I will provide evidence of um, the English language no longer being required to exist in the United States. Uh, there is um, a lot of our government institutions, especially in more uh, liberal states and in the federal government, are adopting uh, Spanish as the second language. And uh, I believe that does that has an effect on national cohesion because it forces people to be either bilingual or to be split up. There's no more unifying, uh, there's no unified language. Previously, we did not have laws that required you to speak English. We just had a lot of social pressure we had people that would get rude to you and say, speak bloody American. They would say, speak English, you, you dirty foreigner. And people would be upset. But as a result of that pressure, they would, you know, be pressured in public to speak English. Society used to handle that. Okay. I'm claiming that now society is not... Society okay. is not only handling that, but it's punishing members of society that try to handle that, like that teacher. Okay, but, I, but I'm going to ask this again. What's the context behind that teacher asking her students to speak uh, to speak American or speak English? Sorry. They were students in, I believe, a high school. There was a public high school. And they... Um, um, you during said you had class, a... During class or, class or while being at school, they were, they were speaking Spanish. She doesn't understand Spanish. Um, and... She and, and I guess other students in the class who do not understand Spanish, she asked them that when you're in America, you need to speak American. That was taken as a racist attack, which I don't believe it was. That's the context, okay? You had a newspaper article for that, I believe you said, correct? Like you had an article online of that incident happening. Is that what you said? Sure, here is NBC News. This was easier to find than my other evidence. 
here, debate voice chat text, the NBC News story. You, you search, Google search Speak American, you'll find several articles. Oh, it's actually New Jersey classroom. Now, to me, if you are in a private institution, uh, in, a, in a private school that, got, that you don't use taxpayer money, and you want to teach your children uh, exclusively in Spanish and not exclusively in English, um, I'm fine with, with you doing whatever you want. I will criticize it as a, as a choice, as a personal life choice. I will say that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make you a good citizen, which schools are supposedly have to take care of that aspect of society. But I would definitely find it unacceptable uh, in a public institution and in a government institution. And I think the fact that um, when you walk around government institutions, we receive all the pamphlets in three or four languages in, in my city, I think that's a bit ridiculous. I can have, I can understand that argument of multilingual support when you deal with like the population. But for everybody who's basically uh, younger than 60, or, well, fine, just younger than retirement age, um, those people should be forced to learn English and to use English in all interactions. And in countries with a functional melting pot, they don't allow you to speak another language when you go to, to, to approach a government official, unless you're a tourist and you use English. That might be the only exception. Okay. Well, just, okay, well, just to like stop the tangent, can I quickly take 45 seconds just to listen to the video that is in the article that you, that you sent me? Absolutely. Okay. Give me 45 seconds or like a minute just so I can get a good grasp of this. Sure, I'll take the time to um, find more studies. Stop hinting. <clears throat> you know, memes and such. I think this is actually a pretty good debate to listen to if you're going to hang around. Um... Yeah, I might do. I'm going to listen to it in the recording anyway. That's good. I think this one okay. will be worth So, So, Tenant, what I would say to that is in this video that you linked me, the teacher specifically states, military, states this. So this is at the 13 second mark. There are subtitles to this. And this is in what you sent me. Quote, unquote, military men and women are not fighting for your right to speak Spanish. Um, they are rank for your right. They're fighting for your right to speak American. Now, would you agree with what that teacher said or no? Um, I think it, it sounds uh, out of context a bit harsh, but it is the reality from a nationalist position. Um, you are when you when you live in the United States. Um, I think she did does make a good point tying it to the to military service because it's not our freedom is not free um it relies on the fact that um people join the u.s military voluntarily right now or as part of a draft and whenever the nation is under threat um then they go and fight and um and sacrifice their lives to defend the united states and one of the and that's one of the fundamental aspects of our civic nationalism. It doesn't matter whether you're which race or ethnicity you are. Once you join the military, you uh, and you pledge your allegiance to the flag, um, then this makes you an American 
and you spent your blood defending the country. And um, part of that uh, country is the, the culture and the tradition that you're defending. Mm-hmm. And that's it's what unifies us. And I, I think it's a mistake in the United States that we n- don't include English as part of the tradition. Okay. Um, and I think it's a form of discrimination against people who are um, either don't know Spanish or don't know all the other languages or people of different ethnicities happen to be Spanish because it's a New Jersey school. There's probably a lot of other uh, groups um, of minorities there. When we speak English, we're being egalitarian democratic because that's the, the universal language, for better or worse, it is the universal language on this planet for historical reasons, maybe not for merit reasons. No, for historical reasons, I'd agree with that. But but let me ask you this. One of the main tenets of American culture is freedom of expression. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, The the freedom of expression comes with certain responsibilities. And uh, one of your responsibilities is that um, you belong, we, we all belong in a group that, and we have some group cohesion. We believe in certain um, inalienable rights. When you go into a public sphere, especially when you're in a public institution like a school, then um, your right to speak Spanish is secondary to the right of everybody there to understand and be part of a group, to not be excluded. And so the students in that school that were in that classroom, that were not Spanish speakers, they were heavily discriminated against. And their right was violated, their right to be included in the discussion. Okay. But that's not answering my question. One of the main tenets of America is freedom of expression. It is guaranteed in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. One of the main tenets of America is freedom of expression. Now, if you want to make sure that people have that freedom of expression guaranteed to them, don't you think... Don't you think that they should be allowed to when just speaking to students inside of a classroom, which from what I am, which from what I'm reading is uh, going on. Like they weren't talking to the teacher. They were simply talking between each other. Wouldn't one of the main tenets of freedom of expression be the freedom to express themselves by using the language that they would want in that classroom? Um. We, our freedoms of expression are not unlimited. There's ways to damage somebody with speech. For example, if you threaten somebody's life, that will be an extreme example. It's called assault. You get in prison. If you scream fire at the moving theater, that's called endangering uh, uh, other people. And it will uh, also, uh... also be persecuted. And if yeah, yeah. you discriminate against people with your speech in certain um, aspects of, of inter government, then that's what's used to to support um that's part of the of the requirement of the government is providing everybody with equal service and i think that it's it's um the law will support both arguments yes it's the it the government doesn't have a right so if the school has a policy no speaking spanish at all on school grounds that policy can be deemed unconstitutional easily, easily so. You'll be absolutely right. However, that's not the case here. The, the teacher did not say, um, if you don't stop speaking Spanish, I will expel you from school, which would be anti-constitutional. She did not do that. 
she chided them and she used social pressure and she used a reference to the US military to try and pressure the students into being inclusive and egalitarian, not exclusive and tribal. She tried to do what she's supposed to do as part of the school program is to integrate them into the metaculture of being an American, which includes being an American Chinese, American Russian, American Irish, American German, and so on and so forth down the list. And so when those kids um, spoke Spanish in, in the classroom, they didn't violate federal law. There's no law against that. But it did violate a social norm, which is precisely what I'm talking about. Society used to be able to handle that. Such teachers used to be rewarded or nobody cared about such an incident. But now teacher was either fired or threatened to be fired or suspended. And there was a big call to call that to, there was a big push from the media to call the teacher racist. I, I don't know the teacher. I don't know if she's actually racist, but from these, this quoted actions alone, I don't believe she is. And I believe that educators must be doing what she's doing. I don't know how it can be supported. Um, maybe there needs to be an amendment to the constitution that includes some aspects of American culture and introduces them. Maybe there is some, um, some elastic clauses could be stretched. I'm not sure. Okay. But I know that uh, what, I was, what I was talking about was not just a legal uh, system, but also a societal system. As a society, while respecting okay, the freedom okay, of speech. Okay but, okay, but I'm going to stop you right there because you've been going on for two minutes. Okay. In America, there's a, there's a societal push for, for things like freedom of expression. And both legally and societally, we uphold in America and Canada freedom of expression. And we have and we have the freedom and the rights, depending on which country you're in, to express ourselves in the way that we would like. Now, a student should not be forced to speak to speak any language that they do not want to because of the fact that that infringes on their freedom of expression. And especially, especially in the fact when is there actual harm that can come from somebody speaking Spanish in a classroom? Does that like, like I can understand the harm that could come from if they aren't answering a question in English, so other people can't answer that. But the kid's still able to speak English. The kid can still answer in English. He's just he, he's just talking with his buddies, like he's talking with his buddies in a language which they all understand and they all want to express themselves with. There's no harm to that as they are not affecting other people around them. I, I just, you ignored and I showed you how they affect other, affect other people around them. They affect themselves. They affect non-Spanish speaking students. Um, they affect the social contract that we have with each other. And the teacher actually did not violate their constitutional rights because she did not give them an order. It was not voiced as an order um, it was it was not uh, uh, spoken as you ought to do this or you get banned. It was you should do this because you should feel a, a shame of yourselves. Shaming is the only uh, way we have in our society to maintain some aspects of our culture, um, including the border between freedom of speech um, and uh, the right of the individual to not be oppressed. Okay. And if and if you look at the history of the United States in the past 20 years, you see a step away from total freedom of speech. And actually, the people that protect those students are speaking from a position 
that the students, um, the teacher's speech harmed those students, and therefore the, the teacher is silenced and censured. But okay. they don't talk about the fact that those students did harm other students by excluding them. We're supposed to be an inclusive society, don't we? We're supposed to be about multiculturalism and integration. Yes. How, how can we integrate if we speak in other languages? Simple, by educating people about the language that's primarily being used within that society. Did I mute myself? And they do learn English when they go to school. Not just from the government, but from their parents and from society around them. No matter what, when you live in the United States, you're going to learn English. And I'm also, I'm also going to backtrack and go to your little comment about shaming people. You realize that shaming people in the past, and you can agree with this, I'm guessing, shaming in the past has been used to indoctrinate people against their will into a society. It has been used to harm people. It has been used to ostracize others. That is what shaming does. Shaming in of itself is harmful to society. And using language like they are fighting, they aren't fighting for your right to speak to speak Spanish. They are fighting for your right to speak American. That is interpreted by media and and the society which you are talking about. That is them speaking out against actions, which is shaming upon other people on what the society does not agree with. Um, when you're a child and uh, you poop your pants or you do your business or you do anything else that's, that deserves punishment, um, there's going to be several approaches that are used. Historically, you might get spanked, but we, we went away from physical punishment, thank, thank God. And instead we use both negative and positive reinforcement. And in, in society, there are many correlatory examples of that. You, you, there, there are polite ways to behave and become a member of society, and there are impolite ways. So, for example, if you smoke and you blow smoke into another person's space, you're being inconsiderate and quite rude. If you um, make certain uh, movements, certain maneuvers with your car on the highway, that can result in major disagreements, okay? It, it, you can be doing perfectly legal stuff, uh, like brake checking somebody, but it's considered highly offensive. And society will not understand you when you say, if you, if you were doing it frivolously or trolling people that way. So there are many aspects of society that are governed by this idea of shaming. That there is... Um... Okay. But when it comes to, okay, but here's the thing. Your example of break one sec, one sec. Your example of break checking someone, that is somebody directly interacting with another person. But if somebody is using language with other people who are speaking the language and is not directed at anybody else, is that is that harming or affecting anybody around them? The only way that it could affect them is if they cannot understand what that person is saying. But if they are not in, but if they are not involved within that conversation, are they being affected whatsoever? Если я начну говорить на русском языке, и в комнате только русские, и ты не сможешь меня понимать, так ты себя почувствуешь немного как идиотом. Ты себя почувствуешь как тупым человеком, потому что я говорю на русском, и меня понимают только русские. Yeah, see, right now you're directly speaking to me from what I can gather around that. You're directly putting that into our conversation, and you're using that language in order to speak to me. But if I speak Dutch to somebody else who speaks Dutch and it's only directed at that person who speaks Dutch, then is it harming anybody around them? No, what I was actually is I was insulting you without your knowledge 
I was calling you an idiot to the audience. I used the audience as my partner in this conversation and I excluded you in my language. I said, I isolated you very effectively. Um, and you didn't know what was going on. You didn't understand that I just insulted you. And nobody else in the room understood who that you were insulted, but Russians who will be listening to this recording will understand. And whether I insulted you or not will require a certain level of understanding of the language that you don't have. And so if I bring another Russian into this uh, chat and I start speaking to him exclusively in Russian, I will actually affect you directly because you were part of the group and now you're excluded. Um, you don't do that, for example, in a double date in a restaurant, right? Even if, um, if three out of the four people are um, generally you revert to English when, you, when you're being polite. You revert to the language of the guest. You revert to the common denominator language. So, for example, in many countries, like in Russia, if you're in polite circles and everybody is young and speaks English, even though, um, you know, all of the, your entire party is Russian, but you're the English speaker, they should, if they're being polite to English, they're broken, they're maligned English, yes. to speak, but to be polite key, to you. Because they don't want to talk. What's the key factor in that conversation? What is yes, the key factor in that? They are actually part of that conversation. However, yes, because, if you are not in that conversation that's taking on, if you're not in that conversation that is taking on at that place and time, then is it affecting you in any way? In the yes, you're, in, you're excluded. You're excluded from social interaction. If it's a social interaction or if it's a class interaction, you're excluded from learning. You're excluded. Part of the reason, you know, part of the reason we have public schools is for the human interaction. Because if we didn't need to, we don't, without, there's no, there's no benefit to have all the children go to this building uh, and spend the entire day there when we have computers where they can learn um, autonomously quite effectively. The reason we send them to a public school right now uh, in 2018 is so they interact with other students. So it does damage them directly for a group of subgroup of people to interact on their own language. And in all other countries, people... Um, Instead of forcing you to speak Russian, they will speak English. In the United States, it's the reverse. Everybody speaks English in all the groups, and it's polite. It's considered impolite for me and my Russian friend to speak. If there is a third party involved, I will revert to English, even if everybody around the table is, is Russian. Do you understand that? I don't want to exclude people. If my goal is to be inclusive, to be tolerant, and to be welcoming, and to make sure that everybody benefits from social interaction, which is one of the main reasons to be in a high school, then I won't use a different language. Yeah, but the key thing is, it's what, it's who are the participants in the conversation going on? If the, if the participants all speak Mexican, then they can all speak Mexican. But if, but if one of the participants in the conversation that's going on at the time doesn't speak Mexican, then yes, that would be exclusionary. But if that, but if those conversations in the example that provided, you know, if it's a private conversation between three individuals and is not affecting anybody else, then what is the harm? They're express they're using their freedom of expression to express their language between other people. It is not affecting anybody else. But somebody if comes you, into the conversation and tells them you speak start speaking English or start um, speaking if American. Could, if I could interject, I believe um the context that Tenet is trying to explain, um, 
or what might change that context is a more neutral person here is the uh, space you're in when you're having that conversation. It's more about the space than the conversation itself. And if they are students of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds and language abilities within your same the same classroom as you, even if you have a private conversation, the problem is that the person who is with you in the same room doesn't know whether the conversation is private or not. They feel excluded. You've just achieved the lack of social cohesion, the, the reverse of social cohesion. You achieved a social disruption in a sense because the person that feels excluded, you know, now they will, st they will feel excluded and they will speak to their, you know, their one Russian friend in Russian and some Chinese people will start speaking Chinese and society as a whole, in within that the sample size of that classroom, will disintegrate. And that's exactly what we're talking about. If we want multiculturalism to work, then we need to have some glue that unifies all of us. And in studies, um, there, there are two studies about multiculturalism that I remember. I, I will have a hard time right now remembering the exact name, but I do remember there are two separate studies. One of them was that multiculturalism generally produces short-term problems because there's no social cohesion. People distrust each other and there's issues with that. And a follow-up to that study checked what happens if those people are unified around some idea, if they're unified around a sports team, if they're unified around a group. Suddenly, all of those social cohesion problems disappear. And I'm, I'm telling you that the key um, element of that is language. language what, was the is name of the, what was the name of the author? I'll have to, I'll, you'll have to give me quite a few minutes to find that, to, to figure it out. Yes. Okay. May I, okay. Do you, if I was able to guess the name of the author, would it come back to your memory? Sure. Is the name Robert Boutenham? Actually, I still don't remember. I'm, I'm referencing okay. my, uh, there is, there is Brian 71, Myers 2008. Um, no, uh, yeah, th those studies are typically uh, quoted. Um, is most of these studies talk about marriage? Yeah, but yeah, and I and here's the thing: I have a study right now from Scientific American. Um, these, it's an op-ed from the study that they conducted. Uh, title is How Diversity Makes Us Stronger, with the connotation being around people who are different from us makes us more creative, more diligent, and harder working. So there's Putnam 2017. Uh, okay, yep, okay, oh, let's go. 2007, sorry. Yep, let's do this, bud, come on. Did you know that... Uh, did you know that he completely misrepresented the data? They, did you know that Putnam in that study that he did write? Did you know that he completely messed with numbers and and made the data flawed in order to serve his confirmation bias? Um, okay, you can provide the criticism of his work in, in a link. Yes, I'll link to Putnam and you link to the criticism. And please, criticism from academics of relevant professions. Okay, because here's the thing. With his study, he admitted in an article which I just posted that he admits that his re research was twisted in order to get the outcome that he wanted. 
like Robert Putnam is not a credible source. He twisted the data in that study which you are citing. And that affected the data so that he could have a confirmation bias instead of having an unbiased look at it and seeing if it actually had any negative effects on the society at hand. You're misquoting your own article. I understand the victory pause and the victory dance you're doing, but in the actual title it says his research was twisted, and it is being twisted. It is being twisted because people say, well, social cohesion in multicultural societies is impossible. And that's not what his study is saying. His study is saying that... Um, the short-term outcomes leave to create problems. And, and it's, it's obvious one to anyone that has any observational skills in their community. If you live in a multicultural building and you have a group of Chinese and a group of Pakistanis and a group of, um, you know, um, of Irish and a group of Russians, and whenever they walk out and whenever they interact, they all speak different languages, there's going to be some level of distrust and it's when they speak English to each other than when the trust is built up. It's because they behave, they unite around something. And that something is knowledge and practice of the English language. So if I would, were to say hi to my neighbor in, in Russian, that would cause a puzzle. But if I say, if I say niceties in English, they understand what's going on. And we practice our broken English together, which unites us. And this is what Putnam was talking about. And the, the, this was... It's almost a redundant study to anyone that has any experience living a life in a multicultural city. You know, ask the most liberal New Yorker is, do you feel included when people are speaking um, Chinese around you in a Chinese, in a native Chinese restaurant? No, you're going to feel excluded. It's, you're only going to feel included when they start speaking English to you and when you speak English back to them. Well, yes, but the major point of contention I have with that argument, I'm going to restate this, is that you are not part of that conversation. And if they are in, and if they are in Canada and they are, let's say they're in Canada, if they are Canadian citizens, they still have to speak English. Like in Canada, we still require that people speak a degree of English and or French. Um, there is actually, there is another historical example of how, of another person that, that, uh, that advocated for this type of, nationalism and social cohesion that they talked about. The example is of Ataturk um, in Turkey, the founder of the, of the, uh, of the national um, Turkish state. And one of his main principles, that's why I'm bringing him up, his principle was, you can be whatever you want at home, but outside in the street, you're, you're a civic Turk. You minimize your cultural, your religious, and your other symbolism when you're outside in public. And you speak the Turkish language on the government level. That's what unites us as Turks, according to Ataturk. Whereas you can go to your own mosque, to your synagogue, to your temple, um, or to your you know, rock concert. And in those places, you can use whatever language you want. But in government institutions, institutions of learning, you behave as if you're one of the greater collective instead of the smaller tribe. And that was a principle that was proven to be very successful in keeping a country socially cohesive because other countries didn't have such principles.